I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson episode, I don't know, 156 sounds right. I stopped keeping track uh, after 150 because that's, you know, that's clearly the peak of the podcast. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's any announcements, none that I can think of immediately. I was on the Film Nerds podcast talking about uh, Jurassic World and the end of summer movie season. Um, the, the, or summer blockbuster season, I guess you could say. Um, uh, I talked with this guy, Ben, about how, you know, blockbusters being located June, July, August isn't really the case anymore. You know, I mean, as we record this, um, the new Batman Superman movie is out, uh, uh, Deadpool came out in February. I mean, uh, Star Wars came out in December. So the idea that while there might be more of a concentration of them in the summer, studios have really kind of caught on to the fact that, oh, there are entire months where we all we have to do is we, we're competing against rom-coms. Okay, yeah, I think we got this. Um, so that's that's a good uh, that was a good time. I enjoyed myself there. And you get to hear me rant and rave about Jurassic World again, um, which I'll do at the drop of a hat, apparently. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I think that is about, oh, and then of course want to remind everybody as we're actually getting closer to it now, um, at the end of April, I'll be at the international Christian film festival, uh, more than one lesson. We'll have a table there and I will be doing a, pre- a presentation called speaking the language of film. I believe I have a 10 AM slot, which is not my time of day. So we'll see how it turns out and we'll see if anybody shows up. Oh boy. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm just way too cynical about this kind of thing. So, um, okay. So I think that is, uh, that's it for announcements. Um, uh, there is one big announcement, but I'm toying if I should, with, if I should say it or not. And, uh, I got to say it sooner or later. So I guess I'll go ahead and say it now. So, uh, just a heads up everybody that I am going to be going back to school very soon. Uh, I have been accepted into the master's program of UCLA. I'll be majoring or getting my master's in uh, film studies. I'm very excited about it. I will be starting in earnest in the fall. In the meantime, it's looking like I will take a class in June. This is not going to, I'm not planning on this having an effect on either this or Battleship Pretension. I can't say, I can't say that worth playing for will be unaffected. Um, you know, with three podcasts, you got to cut one of them loose. Uh, but I, I don't believe that more than one lesson will be uh, overtly affected. So just want to let everybody know that. Um, it's a very exciting time. It's also a very stressful time. And uh, I have not been to school in 12 years. I have to assume nothing's changed. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I just want to let everybody know about that. And by the way, uh, if you wanted to be praying for me about that, that would be great because I I am actually, while excited, I am also remarkably nervous. But, uh, okay, so now that that announcement is out of the way, uh, I will, okay, here's the deal, everybody. So as I said, there's this new Batman versus Superman movie, uh, Dawn of Justice, or whatever it is, this very unwieldy title. Uh, My co-host just rolled his eyes. So we decided that we were going to talk about Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, which at this point came out almost three years ago. And here's, okay, everybody, this is exciting. This is an exciting day for me because while, look, we all know I'm the primary host of this podcast. No one can take it away from me. Uh, If I go away, the podcast is over. We all know it. But I do have a number of co-hosts and 
the offer is always open to them that if they want to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, program an episode themselves, they are more than welcome to do so. And so our friend Reed Lackey uh, is going to be leading the discussion about Man of Steel. So I am going to throw it to him. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm very, very happy to uh, try my hand at this. I'm actually quite nervous about this because okay. uh, even though I consider myself, you know, I'm getting seasoned now at being sure. on the show uh, and, and being a part of it, uh, leading it is intimidating. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. This is all this. This plays perfectly into my hands to get people to appreciate me more. That's true. Whether it be my co-hosts or the listeners, like once this just crashes and burns, mm-hmm. people will be like, man, Tyler is needed. Don't go. He anywhere. is a necessary person. I approve of him. Uh, Tyler, more than one lesson.com, by the way, if you actually think that. So, okay. Yeah. And it's hard. It's going to be hard for me to not go into, um, into primary host mode, but I will, I will lead with this. Now, Man of Steel has been sort of on the back burner of possible movies we could be discussing mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, it's nothing that any of us really took seriously, but what with the new movie coming out, we figured uh, that it might not be a bad idea, but it was not necessarily my idea. It was yours, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because neither of us particularly like Man of Steel. So I'm going to I'm gonna ask you, what, what made you want to, aside from the, the timing of it, of course, yeah. um, what made you feel that this is a movie we needed to talk about? Well, what's interesting is uh, I feel like most of the conversations, Man of Steel represents, and for better or worse, Man of Steel has come to represent, for me personally, um, it is almost an integral part of every conversation that I have with people about film and why I view film the way that I do, what I would like to see happen with more people and the way they view films, which is to put a large button on it is simply to be a little bit more discerning about what you're taking in and its value, its intrinsic value, uh, and whether or not, and like basically how you should respond to it. And the reason for that is because I have met a striking number of people who just sort of absorb Man of Steel, even hmm. even defend it, uh, or even you know will champion it or praise it. But what's interesting to me is that when I talk to them about why, almost with an eagerness to find out, okay, I I did not care for this movie almost at all. So what is it about it that you really liked? And I find them coming up most of the time very short. Um, now, admittedly, I don't run in a in a critics circle. Um, I was I was gonna say that that definitely speaks to a bubble that I am in, mm, which yeah. is I am friends with critics, writers, actors, that kind of thing. I don't know I don't know and talk to anybody who likes Man of Steel. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, but you're, but apparently you're good friends with these yokels. I know. Who I'm just, not. they're happy to see any flickering lights on the screen. If any, if, if any of you are listening to this and uh, we've had this conversation before, I love you all. It's fine. But uh, it's, I think you have terrible taste in the movie. But um, the, the, the thing that, I mean, to, to put all facetiousness aside, like I have, I found myself having more and more conversations where I would talk to people and usually as odd as this is, it would begin with some sort of defense of films that are not usually embraced. I would talk about my f- love for The Exorcist, or I would mm-hmm. talk about my love for, recently, 
almost as much as I mentioned The Exorcist, I'll mention Bone Tomahawk, and I'll start talking cool. about how how much I love that film. And how Stay tuned for Halloween times, everybody, because Bone Tomahawk will be discussed. Frankly, if, if, if we'd had a microphone a few weeks ago before we recorded Inside Out, the episode's in the can, because we <laughs> talked for a full a full hour about it. Easily. You yeah. and me. So, I'm it, sorry, go on. No, no, is and and I think there's... You know, a wonder, a lot of wealth of wonderful things to say about that movie, and so I'm I'm talking about films like The Exorcist, like Bone Tomahawk, that are less palatable, and I find myself, for better or worse, transitioning into this discussion about Man of Steel, hmm. which many people find in the circles I tend to run in more palatable, and they find it more accessible, and they like. So, you know, they'll say that, oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I liked this. I liked that they tried to take it in a new direction. I liked that they tried to do, to do something with it. They'll start trying to sort of say, like, yeah. oh, I just, I just enjoyed a new take on Superman. And But then I'll start trying to talk to them about, like, well, why? What what about the take did you like? And and then in those situations, it the conversation usually sort of stalemates. Mm-hmm. So, again, the reason why I felt like it was important to talk about it, um, and there is one larger reason that we'll get to sure. a little bit later, but... The reason I wanted to start talking about it is because I found myself talking about it so frequently in this context, in the kind of context that we address with the show, which is, you know, how do how do we as Christians respond to film? How do we, you know, look at film in a way beyond what the Christian norm typically is, unless you are a Christian who is also a film critic? Um, and so that's that's why it was sort of burning in me. Like I have multitudes of thoughts about this film um many of which in fairness are are rather negative yeah and uh i i'm also a big believer of trying even when you're expressing a criticism to be constructive sure uh so that might be something of a challenge for me but i'm gonna i'm gonna try i i am already flabbergasted here's why um, and not, not in, in, a, in an exciting way or an excited way. Um, because, so I saw Man of Steel because I was going to be talking about it with a couple of guests on Battleship Pretension. Hmm. Would I have seen it anyway? Maybe, but it probably wouldn't have been very pressing. I believe I saw it opening day. Um, I have not, after recording about it, mm-hmm. I have not thought about that movie oh. in almost three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it became uh, if it came up at all, which it often did not. Mm. With again, in my circle of friends, it was considered. <laughs> this sounds strange. It's like a minor superhero movie. Wow. I mean, yeah. the the least of the Marvel films was still considered in my circles more interesting, or at least more. Uh, I don't know, or the people are anticipating it more than Man of Steel. Um, And just, I think it's because Zack Snyder is not super respected in the film critic community. Mm. Um, And more than anything, uh, if, if, and I'm not going to speak for your friends, but I do know that a lot of people who seem to like Man of Steel and the new take on it, Mm -hmm. um, the answer does seem to be, it's not the sole answer, but one of the answers seems to be it's darker. Yeah. Um, and ever since, you know, the Christopher Nolan Batman series, um, people do seem to think that darker is the way to go. That darker can be more exciting. Never mind the fact that the Marvel films have never gotten that dark, no. but they're still very serious mm-hmm. uh, at times. And to me, I think the reason that those films work so well is because it manages to juggle 
why we go see comic book movies, but then also what they can actually, you know, what they can hold. Right. Um, whereas man of steel really see, and then certainly with what looks like the Batman Superman movie, it looks like darkness is really all it has. And man of steel is not particularly dark as far as, uh, the visual aspect of it. It's not Gotham city or anything like that, but just the, the tone of it is so dour. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Unquestionably. Uh, Did you like Superman returns? See, I did. Uh, To me, I walked out of Superman returns, loving it. Time has not been so kind to it. Further reflection, further thought, getting back to it. But I still really enjoy Superman Returns, and I still, still, it it, it holds my favorite Superman Superman rescue moment. The the whole saving of the plane. That's and a great like, sequence. I, that entire sequence. I saw it on an IMAX. I that that blew me away, mm-hmm. and that still stands, even though there are Superman films and Superman moments that I enjoy more. As far as like a Superman rescue, I was like this, I got so many chills watching it in the theater, still get chills, even thinking about it, about that image of him. You know, you hear the music, uh, which we hadn't heard, you know, since I was a kid and you know, you hear the music, you see Clark running, opens up the shirt and then the whole sequence with the plane. And just, I had never seen it that way before, which, you know, for all the love and respect I have for the Richard Donner films and for the entire Christopher Reeve franchise, that image of him holding that plane up, just the way yeah. it was shot and the way that entire sequence played out. And then the plane breaks in half and he goes, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Absolutely it is. Wonderful. That is a, that is a Superman sequence. Yeah. You know, I'm so much of the things that I, that I think about with man of steel, it just doesn't feel like Superman. Yeah. But that sequence in, in Superman returns that feel just, yeah, he's not saving the whole world. In this case, he's just saving a plane full of people. And there's the kind of the, you're not thinking of this in the moment, but, you know, globally speaking, or even universally speaking, a plane full of people is fairly small time. Sure, mm-hmm. Surely he could be doing something else, but right now he's doing this. This yeah. is where he can definitely make a difference. It's it's just, it seems like a sequence very much out of, out of the comic book. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Man of Steel feels very much, it doesn't feel influenced by comic books at all. It feels no. influenced by comic book movies. And yet Snyder still insists that he's such a comic book fan again that's that's where i could start easily drifting into um an absurd amount of snark but Mm -hmm. i find that most of the most of the creative defenses for the film from snyder or for or from you know even some of the cast um feel very for lack of a better word they just feel unfounded they feel like they're 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 grasping at they recognize they were you know a bit out of their depth but they're grasping for reasoning and they're grasping for some sense of purpose and vision, which I think, I think to be completely frank, I think the film lacks a lot of, I think it lacks a singular vision or a singular purpose. I was talking with somebody earlier and uh, what's funny to me is, is like, I don't know. Did you see the, it always comes back to horror for me. Did you see the Rob Zombie remakes of Halloween? I did not. Halloween and Halloween too. Well, I don't think they're, I don't think they're worth your time. Okay. 
But one thing I will say for them, especially in contrast to this Man of Steel thing, is he had a distinctive singular vision right. for what he wanted to do. Now, I disagreed with that, and I didn't necessarily think he improved on John Carpenter's original vision, which is why, which is why I don't think it sold very well. Like, and It didn't catch with audiences. But it's undeniable that you walk away and Zombie's like, okay, he, he clearly has something that he was trying to tell or something that he was trying to do with this. Uh, so when that winds up being a little bit of a mess zombie can still walk away being like i did what i wanted to do with it right. and 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 that's as as much as i can say about it you didn't like it then too bad and what's interesting to me is that so on battleship retention you know about three years ago david and i did a profile about Zack snyder it's still one of my favorite episodes that we've ever mm. done uh partially because he's done so few films that you can we could really spend time sure on each one and he's somebody that i mean you know, when they were advertising uh, Watchmen, it said from the visionary director of 300. Mm. And I remember thinking like, well, he's just transcribing the comic book frame by frame. If right. anything, right. that is the complete lack of vision. Mm. Uh, and he kind of does the same thing with Watchmen. But what I will say is, and that's me being a little bit snarky and a little bit dismissive. There is definitely a, a visual quality to Zack Snyder that if you look at Watchmen and 300 and Sucker Punch, it you can watch them and know that this is this is the work of the same director. Right, he has a definite right. a definite style, a definite vision, mm-hmm. um, and it looked like and it Man of Steel that there wasn't really a lot of that. Now it yeah, doesn't. Right. It definitely looks like there's there's more of it in the new film. Oh, I see um, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, just the the way that uh, costumes look and the way that the action looks. Whereas Man of Steel seemed like a more a, a much blander mm. uh Zack Snyder. It, it's almost as though they they trusted Zack Snyder with a big budget and with big set pieces, but they didn't trust him uh to with the the tone of the film. So the mm. the studio just said, "Okay, you know your usual Zack Snyder stuff, we don't want that. Yeah. We just need somebody who can bring this in on budget and on time." Right, right. Um and then, you know, it did very well at the box office, so maybe they trusted him more to do things his way for the new film. For, yeah. um, mm-hmm. Not that that equals good, but it definitely right. equals distinct. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. That's maybe one of the reasons why Man of Steel doesn't stick with me is it doesn't seem distinct. It doesn't seem yeah. like, a, like a specific world. When I think of my favorite superhero movies, I get a very strong sense of the world, whether it be Gotham City yeah. or... Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Gotham City all around, whether it be even the Joel Schumacher films, you know, you get a very strong sense of what Gotham City is. And then I get a very strong sense of what New York is in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Yes. And what the world is in Mm X-Men. I get a very strong sense of that. Whereas whether it be Metropolis or Smallville and Man of Steel, it just seems bland and who cares? Yeah. I do know that there is an IHOP. (laughs) Uh, because the product placement is astonishing. Oh yeah. 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 Um, But, uh, but yeah, so that's, I mean, we've been speaking in very broad generalities, but, uh, you know, and I will say the listeners feel free to chime in, in the comment section. Um, in fact, I'd prefer comment section as opposed to an email, uh, because I'd like to know your take on this. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because there are people that like this. Mm-hmm. There are people that really enjoy the film. That The film does definitely have its defenders, and you will not find any of those defenders in this room right now. No. Uh-uh. Um, and so, listeners, if you do like the movie and you feel like you you can make an argument for liking the movie, then please do. Yeah. Because uh, I want to I want to hear more. It's not often we do episodes that are entirely negative. Sure. Sure. Um, 
Unless it's a Christian film, apparently. Um, but this one has so much Christ analogy in it that it, exactly. it, it almost is. I know that it was marketed to churches. I yeah. know that, mm-hmm. they, uh, that they put together like a packet specifically mm-hmm. for churches, like a press kit, yeah. uh, which I find really fascinating. And, and, and for some reason, patronizing. I don't know why. Well, and uh, I, I also find it patronizing. That's something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more length. That is the second, the second reason I really wanted to talk about it is because I feel like with the the tone of the film and with most of the choices that the film makes, I began to find the blatant and overt Christ imagery to be um, assaultive mm-hmm. and and to be and to me, who recognizing that a vast number of people disagree with me, but holding Christ as a sacred figure, mm-hmm. it's it's something that began to much to my surprise, offend me. (laughs) And it was something I'm not accustomed to because I've sat in films that I feel like are disrespectful towards religion. And then I will be able to, to sort of walk back and say, okay, this is, this is a differing perspective. This is a perspective that's different from mine. They don't hold these tenets as sacred. They don't, they don't, um, they, they don't adopt them. And, and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with people looking and saying like, yeah, I think anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God is a nutbag. You know, like I'm okay with people having that opinion, even though I disagree with them. What's different about Man of Steel specifically, it's, it's use of Christ imagery without substantiating anything in the narrative. And then uh, when I talk a little bit more at length about what I take away from the film as what it is really saying, Mm -hmm. that's when it begins to package as okay well now now it's not merely a fact of i see a perspective that differs from mine yeah. now i'm starting to get the feeling that you think you understand this more than i do and that or you know i speaking in the just me as an individual but also collective like hey you think this is what a savior is and that this is what it means and you know the the film does it in with, with two things where and this is something that films do from time to time, and I have no patience for it. Um, when a filmmaker, or producers, or writers, whatever you want to say, when they, like you said, they think they understand something, but more specific, the one thing they understand about it, truly understand about it, is the impact. Mm-hmm. They and they understand the association that the audiences have yeah. with it. You know, so by invoking Jesus every, I don't know, three minutes yeah. um, in Man of Steel, it feels. It winds up being a little bit pandering because I get the impression that they don't totally understand the power of what they're talking about, but they do understand. It's almost like a shortcut. There, mm, it's yeah. it's like okay, how do we how do we make this whole thing seem deeper? How do we yeah. make it seem bigger? How do we make it seem more important? Okay, well, let's do some Christ analogy. I mean, it makes sense. Jesus, uh, uh, Superman has always been something of a Jesus figure as yeah, far as the, the right. broad stencil of him. Um, so let's just let's steer into that. And then we, you know, boom, instant depth. Right. Uh, but I feel like they don't understand what they're doing. And so it's just a, it's just a shortcut. The other shortcut, and this is not a thing I say lightly, but I, I think a lot of people are probably sensitive to nine 11 imagery. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is this, like there have been tons of movies in the last 10 years, you know, 10 plus years, uh, in the first few years since 9-11, they tended not to use that imagery very much of buildings falling down. And yeah, that kind of thing. yeah. Um, 
but so in the last 10 years, they've been a bit freer with it, even, even and especially in blockbusters. And there are, there are the ones that I think do it right. The ones that I think earn their nine 11, nine 11 imagery. And then there are the ones that, that bank on nine 11 imagery. Um, much as I do not like avatar, Mm -hmm. it earns its imagery. Yeah. Because yeah. we are seeing the people that live in this giant tree and we're seeing it. So as it's being destroyed and we're seeing ash everywhere, we're with the people that are victims, right, you know, right. as opposed to Superman. Superman's not a victim. He right. is watching from afar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it's the same, you know, um, Avengers has nine 11 yeah. imagery. It's in New York. Right. You know, terrible things are happening. B- buildings are being destroyed. There's a, almost a terrorism element mm-hmm. to it. But we see Captain America working with the police and trying to defend right. innocent people. And so in that way, it, it acknowledges that there are victims here. Right. Whereas right. I feel like the, the 9-11 imagery in uh, Man of Steel, it, once again, it feels like a shortcut. It's, it's this idea of, well, people are going to have a gut reaction to these images. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way that we, we can, we can score some points just by evoking Jesus, right? We can score points by evoking nine 11. And in doing so, I don't like to use the word offended very often um, because I feel like it's, it's overused. And we feel like if you're offended that you've made some kind of point by simply being right, offended. Right. Yeah. But when you look at that, that to me, I think is, is genuinely offensive mm. when you're trying to exploit my association with an event or with a belief system rather than try to actually understand why I have those feelings. Right. And right. I feel like with both Christ analogy and nine 11 imagery, um, I feel like man of seal drops both of them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and both are, are a huge part of the film. Yeah. And I feel like it does border if not completely cross the line into a bit of exploitation of, yeah. of both of those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, for me, it it became this kind of thing where I, it's important to me to know when I have a very strong reaction, positively or negatively, to to know why. Just mm-hmm. as an individual, it's it's important for me to know why. Um, I can walk out of a film and be like, okay, that really did not sit well with me. Right. If if I'm blasé to it, then I can let it go. That's fine. I just it didn't say much of anything to me. Yeah. But. If I'm if I really am taken with it and I think about it a lot, even if I didn't necessarily initially like it, specifically two films, um, The Seventh Seal and Unforgiven, are films that I point to a lot as when I first saw them, I did I didn't care much for them, mm-hmm. but I couldn't stop thinking about them. Right. And then the more I thought about them, then I was like, I really need to revisit them. And then I revisited them with you know having an expectation of what I had already seen, understood a little bit more of what the film was doing, and they both escalated very highly in my appreciation, and uh, Unforgiven is a top 10 film for me. Mm-hmm. But with Man of Steel, I walk out, and when I first walked out, I was just, I was just disappointed. Yeah. I was just like, oh, that really didn't give me what I, what I wanted. Did you feel numb at all? I felt numb when I walked out of it. That might be a good word to describe it, because I was really, uh, you know, I, obviously there was a high anticipation of it. My wife and I were very excited to see it. It was, uh, you know, it was kind of like a date thing for us. And we had seen, before we were actually dating, we had seen Superman Returns together. Hmm. So it was like a return to, oh, let's go see a new oh. Superman movie. Oh, yeah. That's that, very sad. That was a shame. Yeah. But, um... So, you know, we both walked out and we were like, yeah, I didn't, I just didn't really care for that. And then opposite of what I just said about those other two films is that the more I thought about it, I was like, I really, you know, I, 
I think I really didn't like that. Like not just that it didn't give me my expectations. I think I really didn't like that. No. And then the then I start talking to people about it, and I start thinking about other things that I didn't like. And then the the deeper the conversations got, I started thinking about well, here's what they're going for thematically, and I think they could have made a better choice here, here, and here. And then I feel like like you were talking about with nine eleven imagery and Christ imagery that it's like I I feel like they just don't even bother substantiating those things. Yeah. They assume an automatic empathetic connection from the audience with these visuals, yeah. and then they just assume we're going to roll with them, um, which is something that has become come to bother me more and more as yeah. I talk about film more in depth, that, that when a film doesn't substantiate what it's giving you, it just assumes you're going to be on board with it. Then I have I, I grow less and less patient for that kind of thing because you you can't even if I am just on board with you you can't just assume I'm going to be you right. have to found it in what your characters experience or what your universe is or whatever is going on in the narrative of your story you have to substantiate it um, I will say so to to because because we have been overtly negative I want to shift it a little bit and talk about probably the main thing, if not only thing I really like is I actually thought the casting for the film was pretty solid. It, it, very much so. I feel like everybody who's in those roles, I definitely understand immediately why they got those roles. And yeah. and I think they're all for the most part, very talented actors. I really think Henry Cavill is a great Superman. Mm -hmm. I think he's got a great look for it. And I think he brings what probably needs to be brought to the role. And did you see the man from uncle? No, I wanted to, okay. but I didn't see it. In it, Henry Cavill plays this very, just this, uh, you know, cocksure, confident, wry guy. Yeah. And I look at that performance, and I look at his Man of Steel performance, and I feel like if you put these two together, you have a wonderful Superman. Oh, yeah. Mm. You know, because Superman, he's not cocky or anything like that, but there is a there is a confidence to him. He's Absolutely. not tortured all the time. Right, um, right. You know, there are times when he actually does take some joy in what he is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it's something that I always liked about Christopher Reeve yeah. uh, and his performance yeah. um, that I think nobody has captured since then. I agree with that. Um, but except or, maybe Dean Cain. I'm joking, of course. <laughs> um, the star of God's Not Dead. Um, so, but yeah, it, but st he's got the look, and I think he has the ability to play yeah. a really good Superman. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way about, uh, even though I was disappointed and surprised at their almost complete lack of chemistry, I really am fond of Amy Adams. And I, I love her. Yeah, and I think that she was a decent Lois Lane. I, I would even say she was a really good Lois Lane. Um, like I said, I, I wish there had been more of a, I don't think that they have yet captured for me, except ironically with adventures of Lois and Clark. Like mm -hmm. I believe that Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher are, are kind of into each other. Yeah. But other than that, like I, I never really, even as much as I love Christopher Reeve movies, I never really bought him and Margot Kidder. Mm -hmm. I, I bought her as Lois Lane and I really bought him as Superman, but I didn't buy that they would be that connected to each other. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a chemistry connection that I don't feel like has really ever been adequately captured, and I feel like that's lost again in in Man of Steel. But I do like Amy Adams a lot. I like her in that role. I love Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White. I think yeah. That was I think that was a great uh, a great blind casting call choice, and I think that he does a phenomenal job with the with the role. Um, and uh, I feel like Kevin Costner and Diane Lane are great choices for the they kids. might be my as far as because i think all of these are good casting choices and then 
they're all squandered, yeah. except for the Kents. Mm. I think those scenes, with the exception of you know a, a couple of odd philosophical choices that yeah. they decide to yeah. give Pa Kent, um, but those performances are great. I yeah. mean, that's you know that moment. It's in the trailer, but it's a powerful moment when when they discover that uh, Clark is not what they thought he was, right. and or at least they reveal to him that uh, that he's not their kid. Um, and then Clark says, you know, can't I just pretend I'm your son? And then he says, you are my son. It's a really powerful moment. Um, and, and you know, that's the thing. I'm, I'm not saying that, that, uh, the man of steel needed to just be a fun movie all the time. Uh, I'm fine with there being some depth, maybe even a lot of depth and there's, but there needs to be like an emotional depth. Uh, Sure. Maybe not a, uh, philosophical or a theological one, which it was seemed to be trying to do and failing. Mm -hmm. But in moments like that, that's when you find real emotion. Yeah. Um, And when we see a couple of things, I think Russell Crowe does a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then Michael Shannon, as oh, Zod yeah. is a great casting choice. Mm-hmm. And then with a couple of, just a couple of glimmers here and there mm-hmm. of humanity. Yeah. With it, with the exception of that, they just have him yelling all the time and that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And he's a far more capable actor than to, to pull that out of him. I mean, almost yeah. any other performance I've ever, I, I mean, my affection for take shelter almost can't be measured. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's an amazing actor capable of, capable of doing so much even without saying anything and then i completely agree he he's just covered up in a lot of anger yeah that they just that they just said oh it, it almost as if snyder was like yeah just say it louder just say everything yeah. louder yeah be more mad now you're uh, confused yeah. hey mike uh you don't know this yet but there's going to be a lot of crashes and explosions you're going to need to be talking over that yeah. so really really get that voice up there buddy yeah So, yeah, I completely agree. Like I, I, like I said, almost the only thing that I really genuinely won't even criticize is I think that they, whoever the casting director was for man of steel just nailed it. I feel like everybody was, uh, was perfectly suited for the roles that they were placed in even to, you know, we don't have time to go into all of them, but even the, even the supporting roles, like I can't find a single, uh, casting decision that I was like, that's strange. Like everything feels right. Um, so, I mean, did you have anything positive to say about this? <laughs> um, I mean, the big thing for me is is the cast. But that with a movie like this, um, as I've gotten older, I've, I've really... The thing that will bother me more about a movie, maybe than anything, is the idea of, of wasted resources. Yeah. Or wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have the budget that Man of Steel has. Yeah. And you have the cast that Man of Steel has. And you have the material that it's based on. Right. And Zack Snyder probably doesn't have like carte blanche or anything like that, but probably is given something of a free hand. Like I was saying before, maybe not so much that he could create his Zack Snyder universe, but um, I don't know. It's all the elements are there. Mm -hmm. If you just move these around and probably if you change the script, um, if you just move these around, you've got a wonderful movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've got a great Zod going up against, you know, a really great Superman, you know, mm-hmm. with a really great Lois Lane by his side. I mean, right. there is a lot that this movie has, uh, could have had to offer. Yeah. But, you know, and, and honestly, um, sorry, I don't know if the new Batman versus Superman movie is bad. Uh, it sounds as though it is, but honestly, every time a new, 
a new casting decision was announced. I was excited. Yeah. I was excited yeah. at Jesse Eisenberg. I was mm-hmm. thrilled at Jeremy Irons. I yeah. love the idea of Jeremy Irons as Alfred. I thought Ben Affleck was a good choice. Yeah. I was a, I was immediate. I know a lot of people, they joke about reacting to Batfleck as they called it. The moment that I found out that he was cast, I thought it was wonderful. And yeah. I've always been a proponent of him in that role. Cause I thought he, he could have done a great job and maybe, maybe he does. I don't know. Uh, but you're right with Batman versus Superman. Every single casting choice that rolls out, I'm yeah. like, oh man. Now I, I got to say, I was skeptical about Eisenberg. I'll see what they do with him. But um, I like think that they're thinking out of the box. Yeah, um, and they're yeah. not going. You know, as much as I thought Kevin Spacey was a pretty good, <coughs> excuse me, a pretty good Lex Luthor. Um, you know, to go with another middle aged man, um, as opposed to you know a young upstart. Right. like a Mark Zuckerberg in the social network. Right, That's a right. neat idea. Yeah. Um, you know, for all, for all intents and purposes, a pipsqueak going up sure. against the man of steel. How on earth does that work? Well, the pipsqueak is a genius, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, I like the idea of that. Um, but invariably, and I'm sure I probably tweeted it like three or four separate times. Anytime there was a new bit of information about Batman versus Superman and people were really excited about it. My tweet was usually, Oh my gosh, did you hear they cast Jeremy? Oh wait, Sorry. It's a Zack Snyder film. I forgot, <laughs> which is to say right. just when I'm starting to get excited, because there's a lot of things to be excited about with, right. the, with both right. of these films. Just as I start to get excited, I have to remind myself, don't get excited. Yeah. Because yeah. he will find a way to ruin it. And mm-hmm. I feel bad. I've, I haven't met Zack Snyder. I talked to Zack Snyder very briefly. I was, mm-hmm. I was a, a runner for a post-production house and I had to deliver something into his office and he was there and he was super nice to me. Yeah. By all mm-hmm. accounts, he's a super nice guy. Sounds like it. Um, yeah. and, and like his films, Zack Snyder has tremendous abilities. Mm-hmm. I think his movies are very dumb, mm-hmm. but I think he is still talented. I think you just need to rearrange the talent. Mm. And you've got something really, <coughs> excuse me, you've got something really amazing. Yeah. Um, I think there are probably a couple of sequences that I like um, that are clever. They may not be very, they may not be very Supermanish, but they're clever. I, I do like the 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 scene where Jor-El is on the ship. No. Uh, he's not actually on the ship, but his projection is on right, the ship. Right, right, And he is coaching Lois Lane through the corridors and stuff like that. It's, it's a fun sequence Mm -hmm. and it's clever and it's humorous and it's like the only one of those that's in the film. (laughs) Right. Um, and then I think I liked some of the sequences on Krypton. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, aside from that, the film is either bland and forgettable or angering to me. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't disagree. And you said, you said something earlier that I, it was a note I wanted to touch on, uh, that, that we don't have to get into much depth about, but a lot of times when I say that I didn't care for man of steel and again, remembering the, the, the general, the general populace is who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to, to, you know, um, film critics or people who, who study this, uh, at any, at any great depth. The, that's not to say that their opinions aren't valid. Like sometimes they're more on, they're more on, uh, they're better at articulating what's right and good about a film than I can be. But whenever I talk to them about this and I say that I'm not a fan of it, they usually go to some kind of defense or they have in the past gone to some kind of defense about like, well, well you're just comparing it to, 
the Christopher Reeve Superman, or you're just comparing it to this vision of the comics. And, and I wanted to briefly touch on that for me personally, individually, particularly, I feel this way about biblical films or films that are, you know, based on a biblical narrative, films that are based on a historical narrative, films that are based on a novel. You're making, in my opinion, a completely different medium. Yeah. And I can, I feel perfectly fine saying, you know what? I liked the book better or I liked this better, but that does not mean that does not automatically indict the film. Right. Like if, if the book was amazing and the film does not match up to it, I had this discussion a lot with the Martian where I was like, I, it, it, the, that for the Martian for me, I thought it was absolutely mind blowing book. Uh, I, I would recommend that book to almost anybody. I mean, it, it's an incredible book and it is a, Pretty good, I would even say really good movie. Hmm. Um, and I feel like the film itself um, has a lot that you could talk about that's that's valuable and worthwhile. But if I were constantly comparing it to the book, then yeah. it would it, it, there would be it would suddenly have the deck stacked against it. So all of that to say, Man of Steel. My complaints with Man of Steel are not because it's not like the comics. My complaints with Man of Steel, most of them, almost all of them, revolve around the fact that it is trying to do something in my estimation that it doesn't actually accomplish it's purporting to do something it's pur- like you talked about it's purporting to be deep yeah. it's purporting to be uh profound and to to be making this uh heavy statement but it doesn't actually do that yeah. it doesn't actually substantiate any of the ideas with it's playing with and to a degree this might this is an off the cuff analogy i didn't think about this beforehand so maybe it's a little stilted but it literally feels like somebody carrying around a loaded weapon that does not know at all what they're what they're actually dealing with. Yeah. Like you have no idea the power of what you're just dancing around and, and the Ark assume, of the Covenant. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Where it's like you you have no respect for and respect is a heavy is a strong word for me to mm-hmm. say that they that they're lacking respect for this. But I see that you're just throwing this idea out there. One of the first ones to me, since since we're kind of... Uh, well, before I move into that specifically, did you have any thoughts on the whole comparisons to source material yeah, idea? Yeah, it, it's something I'm, I always find fascinating because, you know, the question is, yeah, you don't have to be true to the source material, but this, while the film is not called Superman, it is called Man of Steel, and that is what man, what Superman is called. Yeah. It is named after the character. Mm-hmm. So one could make the argument that you, at the very least, need to be true to the character. Mm-hmm. And so, and I know a lot of Superman fans that feel like it was not true to the character. And that the reason that they like the, the Richard Donner films is because it is true to the character. Right, right. So there is that... I grew up a Marvel guy. I, mm-hmm. I read X-Men. I did not read a lot of Batman. I didn't read a lot. I read no Superman. I mm-hmm. always thought he was too powerful and too bland. Yeah. Um, you know, like everybody else, I bought and read the comic book with, where Doomsday kills him. Of course. Because um, we all had to. <laughs> yeah. um, but aside from that, I had, aside from the, the movies, um, I had really no association with Superman. And, and even then, the movies weren't a big deal to me. I was more... As far as superhero movies growing up, I was more of a Batman guy. Gotcha. Uh, you know, with those wonderful Tim Burton films. Um, <clears throat> oh, man. So for me, I don't have like a deep association with Superman. I'm not comparing it really to anything. Yeah. I'm comparing it to 
Well, other superhero movies, one, which I think yeah. is perfectly fine. Sure. And I'm comparing it to what works. I, I'm basically measuring it against what works in film. Yeah. And yeah. in that regard, it comes up short. And I will say really quick, the, the idea that you're talking about plays, you know, fits perfectly into what I was talking about, um, with nine yeah. 11 and, um, and Christ analogy, which is when it comes right down to it, they do the same thing with the universe of Superman that they do with the name of Christ or the images of nine 11. Right. They're trading on it without ever actually trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. They, they like the iconography of Superman. They like these characters names. They like the jobs they have. They seem to like a lot of these things. And so they're making, it's like they're making, you know, there's, um, I found myself quoting this line a lot. Um, there's a line in Citizen Kane where someone says, oh, such and such is a good paper. Mm -hmm. And then Kane says, well, it's a good idea for a newspaper. Oh, yeah. And Man of Steel is not a good superhero movie. It's a good idea for a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. it, I feel like anything Superman is on the surface, anything underneath is just some random disaster film meets sci-fi film meets fantasy film that has nothing to do with Superman. Yeah. Um, and so you have all of these things that, that the filmmakers are trying to use in order to ingratiate, uh, the film to the audience, whether it be again, nine 11 imagery, Christ analogy, Superman, it's trying to use all of these things to connect with you, but because it doesn't seem to understand any of them. Yeah. All it does for me is just distance itself. Yeah. And so, and I, and I say that like, it just felt very hollow, the film. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a good word. And I'm trying to think, if I was a Superman fan, knowing what I know of Superman, which admittedly is limited, but knowing what I know of Superman, I would watch this and feel ripped off um, that, like, this, that's not... That's, that's not Superman. I right, mean, I guess you can right. interpret him however you want, but don't call it Superman. Right. I guess they yeah, call exactly. it Man of Steel. But... Um, <laughs> And in the same way, it's like, oh, you're trying to invoke Jesus. Okay. All right. I'm with you. Oh, that's not Jesus. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And so it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's constantly, you know, it's okay. This is a weird analogy to make. So I took a Russian and Soviet history class. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that I learned that I thought was fascinating is that the Russian and American cold war, I say that as opposed to, you know, uh, Korea or Cuba or something like that, yeah. the Russian and, uh, American cold war was actually over about 10 years before it was officially over. Hmm. What happened was Russia had no money, like under Brezhnev, it basically ran out of resources. And so, it actually could not compete with us militarily in any, in any way. Mm -hmm. But what they did is they pumped money into, as tends to happen with Soviet countries, they pumped money into appearances. Mm -hmm. They gave the appearance of having an amazing military wow. and a great uh, arsenal. Mm -hmm. They put a lot of money into that. Meanwhile, if, they, if we were to actually start a war with them, they would immediately be like, oh, we give up. Yeah. Because no. they could not actually compete. Mm -hmm. And in that same way, it's like they put, they put a lot of money and resources in Man of Steel into making it look like it's a real superhero movie, right, that, that right. it has depth, but in actuality, it has, I would venture to say, none. Exactly. I, I feel the same way, and that's, a, that's probably a good transition into like starting to, as, as briefly as possible, talk about 
some of the things I didn't like. And I think my major criticism with it is that it, it to- exactly what you said, it toys around with things that it does not actually have. It, it puts upon the appearance that it is emotionally complex. It puts upon the appearance of being profound and having depth while it makes the most superficial of all conclusions to really every theme that it that it dives into um it makes the most rudimentary and surface level statements about anything i can remember it was a moment in the trailer where uh and you know it made everybody feel like wow maybe this is a darker turn for superman is when Clark, as a boy, asks Jonathan Kent, like, well, should I have just let the children die? You know, should I have just let them die? And, of course, he says, maybe. And, of course, the line is longer in the actual film, but that was in the trailer. He says, maybe. And it gave us the impression of, oh, they're going to... They're going to be de- they're going to be dealing with this about what it what it means to be a hero and and where you have to make the sacrifices and I think there's absolutely unquestionably opportunity to explore that yeah I think there's absolutely a place I was when I saw that trailer I was excited until the moment I began watching the movie I was nothing but excited about yeah. everything that I saw but I feel like it doesn't do any almost anything with the reason for why he, his father would make a statement like that or the, yeah. or with the need to even explore that idea of should we save everybody or should we not i don't feel like it tries to understand any of that right and and that's and that's the thing when you're dealing with these themes and you're using them to give the appearance of depth but you actually don't know what the what the philosophical ramifications are behind these ideas and you actually don't want to explore them, you want to give the impression that you're exploring them, then you actually wind up doing a disservice to the ideas themselves. Because you're right, the idea of, can I save everybody? Should I try to save everybody? What's the deal there? Uh, There's absolutely, uh, I mean, there's a biblical idea uh, behind that. The idea of like the, you know, the, the, the poor will always be with you. That seems on the surface, like a suit, like a remarkably cynical idea. And why would the Bible be so cynical? Is it telling me to give up, (laughs) you know, what's going on there? Um, and so with that scene, because they're not willing to explore it in a deeper way, in the end, all it looks like is Jonathan Kent choosing his son over everybody else's. Right. His one son, mm-hmm. albeit a special one, his one son over 30 children. Right, right. If, if you're unwilling to actually explore, like really dig into what this means, then, that's, then Jonathan Kent looks horrible. Yeah. Well, and I remember there was a moment. And this, this was a linchpin moment for me because this is something that I think exemplifies what we're talking about, about you make one choice to give the appearance of some depth when, in the case I'm about to describe, there was another choice like in your hand that you could have made very simply that would have expressed your, uh, that it would have expressed your displayed theme in a more effective way, at least in my opinion. So, so there's a moment in the movie where Clark, again, in a very cross-like pose, is uh, a young boy and he's uh, backed up against a fence by some bullies. Yeah. And, you know, th- when the camera backs away, he looks like he's being crucified on this yeah. fence. And the bullies are picking on him. The bullies stop picking on him when they realize that his father is watching. Now, for me, even in the first moment I saw that, I was like, man, I know Jonathan Kent knows Clark is not going to get hurt, 
but even just the way this whole scene is playing out, like Jonathan Kent's not stepping in, not saying, Hey, don't you boys have something better to do? He doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He just looks at him and then they leave. And so I'm sitting here like, man, that just makes me feel, even though I know that Jonathan Kent knows his son is very capable of something. I felt very, as, as a son, I felt very sort of abandoned for Clark in that moment. Like, man, my dad didn't even stand up for me. Even though he knows I can take care of myself. And Pa Kent looks perpetually, when you put these things together, mm-hmm. Pa Kent looks perpetually fascinated. Yeah. Not, not protective, yeah. right. not loving. He's fascinated yeah. by what, his, what this kid is. Yeah. You know? like it's, like it, it, exactly. It's like it's some sort of experiment for him or something. Yeah. And at which I think dilutes that admittedly powerful moment that you mentioned earlier where he says, you are my son. Yeah. Now, in that specific moment, I thought rather rapidly, frighteningly rapidly, of a way that they could have flipped that to be what I think is a much more powerful scene. Now, this is a fictional scene. Mm-hmm. Reed Lackey is just writing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's... Reed Lackey, writer of The Victim, has some ideas <laughs> for David S. Goyer. Oh, way to put me in my place. <laughs> hey, if you, if you watch any interviews with David S. Goyer, he is the last person that I would trust a comic book movie with. Yeah. The amount of disdain he has for the, the, comic, book, the comic book audience Ugh. is grotesque. Wow. It is Ugh. deeply disturbing. Man, sorry. Uh, go on. No, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't doubt it. Um, but what I thought might work for that scene because Jonathan Kent gives Clark a speech at the end of that scene. I'll say the quote and then I'll and then I'll uh, mention what I think would have been a better scene. So he says to him after these bullies have finally just given up and walking walked away, he says, "You have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be, Clark. Because whoever that man is, good character or bad." He's going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Now we can get to that good character or bad in a second, but he's trying to say, you have to decide what kind of character you're going to be. I thought it might be interesting to do something like this. What if instead of making Clark the subject of the bullying, what if you have them get into a minor car accident? Or what if you have Jonathan can't have a disagreement with a neighboring farmer and you have this farmer being overly aggressive Mm -hmm. being getting right up in Jonathan's Kent's face, getting right in his face, getting angry, yelling at him, threatening violence, maybe even shoving him. And then the camera pans away to Clark watching his dad get bullied. And you see Clark's fist like clench or something like, you know, he's about to not tolerate this for one moment more. And then you see Jonathan Kent recognize that in his son and stop him and say, you know, like wave him off or something like that. And then diffuse the situation you know, diplomatically or stop the situation, not, and then have this speech where he says, you have to decide what kind of man you're going to be and what character you're going to have. Which by the way, then goes a long way. If we want to get back into Christ analogy, which I know we're not necessarily doing yet, but, uh, in, in a moment like that, Jonathan Kent has turned the other cheek. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because he understands, oh, there are much worse things. If my son gets involved, yeah. things, things will turn much worse than anybody knows. Yeah. And it would still play into, you know, in my fictional scene, it would still play into the idea of you can't reveal yourself. It would, it would play into all of those things that the yeah. film says it's diving into. But yet all it managed to do for me is just say we're going to dive into this and then never really did. See, with the bully scene, I actually had a different thought of what they could do, which is, again, it would appear that what they did is the least satisfying option. (laughs) Uh, Mine was that Clark is still being bullied and his temper flares up 
and he punches the bully. Oh yeah. Wow. And the bully and, and, and Pa Kent like runs up when he sees this and like the bully is out cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Clark has this moment of like feeling horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? And you have Pa Kent at that point say this line. Yeah. Right. Which is, to, it's, it's like, I know you're feeling bad. You should feel bad. Mm-hmm. You need to decide the person you're going to be. Now imagine like, imagine that happened. We now have the seed of, of Clark or Superman feeling terrible about hurting people. Yeah. Cut yeah. to what happens with Zod. It means a lot more now. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. he is now forced to make this decision. Yeah. You know, I still don't necessarily like that scene, but just like they're, they're not from a, certainly thematically, n- almost nothing with, with Pa Kent works, yeah. but from a story standpoint, they don't do enough work planting the seeds yeah. To show us how Superman gets there. I mean, it does have Pa Kent saying this stuff and that's fine, but you need to show how it takes root in Clark. Yeah. And that, and this speaks again to what I'm talking about. Like the, though they show an origin story, the filmmakers still are banking on our previous knowledge of Superman and she's like, okay, well, we already, like, the audience already knows that Superman is an right. upstanding guy who doesn't want to kill. So we'll pay some basic lip service to that, but, you know, we'll just go ahead with it. Like, yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe one of the reasons that, that I don't have a problem, not that I do this, but that I don't have a problem with comparing it to the source material is because the filmmakers themselves are, are depending on you knowing the source material. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. they're depending on it. But then if you were to say, Hey, this doesn't match, I'm sure they would say, if they're feeling defensive, I'm sure they'd say, well, we're not trying to do an exact match of the source material. And it's like, okay, then you need to, you need to lay flat, uh, fresh track completely from, from the word go. You need to create not a new origin story, but you need to make it your own. Yeah. Um, and they just don't do that. Yeah, which honestly, uh, and it's not it's not completely new, but you referenced it earlier. That's something that I feel that Tim Burton's Batman kind of does. Yeah, that it's like our only experience up to that point was, or you know, the the strongest iteration of Batman uh, in visual medium at that point was Adam West's. You know, Adam West and Burt Ward, Biff, Powell, the whole nine. And then Tim Burton comes in with this radical new vision, which now has become kind of a kind of a template that people then that now they branch off of that far more than they branch off of the uh, off of the the Adam West and Burt Ward, which I still have a lot of affection for that. But but I feel like if Man of Steel wanted to lay a new track for Superman, I feel like they would have had every every recourse to do so. And I would have possibly been as on board with that as I am on board with Tim Burton's Batman. But like you said, I don't feel like they, they ever really get there. I feel like they depend on, you knowing the source material. And then I feel like they, they do the, the categorical thing you are not supposed to do in film. They tell, they don't show. Mm -hmm. So they just have the character say the line and then you don't see why they got to that line or what's all about that. Um, but one thing that I want to try to avoid for a variety of reasons is I want to avoid spending a grandiose amount of time, which we already kind of have, but I want to avoid spending a grandiose amount of time talking about the, um, the, the, the negatives or the criticisms, although I'm sure even more will come up as we discuss this further. But one thing I want to talk about, there were two specific themes that I think the film plays with and it does what we're talking about where, it's toying with this idea, but then 
A doesn't really say anything very substantial about it. And what it tries to say, it doesn't uh, found with its narrative. It doesn't uh, put anything in the underbelly of its narrative to reach the conclusion that it seems to have come to. And the first one is kind of what we talked about with you have to choose what kind of person you want to be. The film actually plays by my estimation and memory of it, a lot with the idea of identity. Mm -hmm. Not only who you are, are you a product of where you're from, or are you a product of where you are, are you a product of what you can do, or are you a product of, you know, who raised you, or what you choose, and so it's, it's talking a lot about identity, and, you know, he is a Kryptonian, but now he's living on Earth, that's yeah. this whole, that's the whole Zod versus Superman argument, is our people are gone and you're sitting there protecting these earthlings and you know what i will say in that regard if to go back to positives i think that it might not be fully explored or fully realized but the feeling of of superman being alone Mm -hmm. and and yes he lives among you know humans and he gets along with them and he starts to feel like he belongs and then Zod says, what are you talking about? This isn't you. Um, That actually does resonate pretty well. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, I think that is, that is where the film, where they actually do look at the Superman mythology and they think, you know what? There is something unexplored here. Yeah. And we're uh, something emotional unexplored Mm -hmm. here. We're going to explore that. albeit kind of perfunctorily, but, um, that, the fact that they did that, that was probably the most, insofar as anything in the film could be effective. Yeah. I think that was the most effective part of mm-hmm. it. Um, is, you know, and that's when, that's when you see what Zod could have been, as opposed to the guy right. who's yelling all the time. A guy who, who is trying to make an, who wants to work yeah. with Superman, who wants to work with uh, uh, Jor-El. Right, um, right. And when these people take it, but he also has an ideology behind it, mm-hmm. you know, and in the end, his ideology will win over the people that he wants to be with, right. that he right. wants to work with. And that's what Zod could have been. And you see flashes of it and it's like, oh my gosh, that would have been a great movie. Right. But right. once again, they, the, the film is, is frustrating because of the seeds that are planted that just never grow. Yeah. They never, they never really pan out. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's something that when we, when we get into, uh, the comparisons with our companion film, that's something that I think also explores the same issue, but does so in a much more effective way because it takes a different tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that was one thing I, I really, I feel like the film, uh, is trying very hard to make a statement about, uh, who, who Superman is. Which brings me into the the next theme that I wanted to talk about, and that is how do we how do we essentially respond to threats, and mm-hmm. and how do we respond to uh, I, I, I resist using the word like evil, but even just a, a threat, a threat to our ideology, because it might not be it might not be a difference of good versus evil. Right. It might just be a simple matter of you see the thing one way, and I see a thing the other way. Um, but how do we respond to that? And that gets into an issue of, of trust. Like, can we trust that film talks a lot about, you know, can we trust this man? Uh, Superman says that he didn't, 
you know, his dad didn't want him to reveal himself because he didn't think the world was ready, that they yeah. would, that they would dismiss him, um, or, you know, attack him out of fear so that they, they wouldn't trust him. And, um, I think that's an area where that, that idea of can he be trusted? And he even says, um, I didn't write it down, so I, I'm not going to be able to quote it verbatim, but he even says to the priest when he goes to talk to the priest, when he's debating about whether or not to turn himself in to Zod or reveal himself. Um, and he says, you know, can, can the people be trusted? You know, like, uh, I'm, I'm not even really sure. So Superman himself is evidently having this conflict about trust. And, and I, I think that one of the biggest problems I have with the film is in the choices that Superman makes, I don't think he can be trusted. I don't think this Superman can be trusted. Hmm. I think he has an ingrained like desire to be trustworthy and a desire like this fictional character seems to have a desire to be trustworthy and a desire to fulfill the hopeful obligation that he feels the mantle has been placed on him by his father and by them sending him to earth. But I don't think he can be trusted. I don't think he can be trusted to protect the people because hundreds of thousands of people clearly died. And then they made another movie where a different superhero seems to be taking him to task for all of the people who died. And so I don't know that he can be trusted. And then even when he makes the decision to stop the evil that is threatening these people, he does so in a manner that makes me as the viewer trust him even less because of the, because of the decision he makes, you know, one thing that uh, at, at this point, even if you haven't seen man of steel, you know that Superman snaps Zod's neck at the end. Like, I don't even feel the need to say spoiler warning, although I will say spoiler apology if you've somehow managed to miss that in three years of conversations about it, because it seems at one point to be all people were talking about. But it's interesting to me that Superman snaps Zod's neck at the end, but Zod had said to him earlier, and I did write this down, when Zod is revealing to him all of these things about his past, he said, you know, Superman said to him, you killed my father, And Zod said this, and this is what I found was interesting. He said, I did, and not a day goes by that it does not haunt me. But if I had to do it again, I would. Yeah. So that's Zod's posture. Zod's posture is it was justified. From his perspective, it was justified for me to take your father's life. Yeah. And what bothers me so categorically is that you're talking about this issue of trust. And you, the filmmaker, you, the, the, the creator and the storyteller, want me to walk away trusting Superman. Maybe you expect me to because you expect Superman to be a hopeful and trustworthy figure. But you've shown me that he doesn't save more than two or three people in the entire, one of whom is Lois. So you need her. So you don't, you don't see him save all of these other people. And then when he finally stops the menace, he makes literally the identical ideological choice that Zod made from Zod's perspective. So no, I don't consider the character to be trustworthy, and that's one of the things that really profoundly bothered me about this version of Superman, this story that they were telling, and then, as we'll get into in a second, the connections, the assaultive connections to Superman and Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, I mean, I do... 
when I was a kid, as I said, when I was a kid, I found Superman boring because he was too perfect. Yeah. And so with something like this, making him not super trustworthy, uh, making him uh, f- flawed in his reasoning, mm. uh, flawed in his ability to see what will happen or predict what will happen. Um, I like that. I, it mm. makes it just like, oh, just because this guy has tremendous abilities doesn't mean that he is always going to make the right decision. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, at least I would if, if it were used differently, <laughs> you know, because, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is, you know, Superman begins, Oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. this is the first time he's really being tested. Now it's huge. It's a giant yeah, uh, yeah. test, but, um, but what I think would be interesting is to watch him become Superman, the Superman yeah. we know over the course of the film. Um, and actually when we see him at the end, once like the military is trying to, uh, trying to harness him and stuff like that. And then you see the, the casual way in which he talks to the military. It's just like, that is the Superman that I'm familiar with as Mm -hmm. far as his, his general behavior and attitude. Um, but he hasn't really earned that Mm -hmm. yet. Um, and I feel like, you know, I don't, you know, Zod does put him in a, in the position of having to do something that he would never want to do. And so, again, I feel like that would be more th- more emotionally effective if they had set up early on, right. as I was talking about with that bully scene, just how uh, traumatizing this is going to be for Superman. Yeah. At least then it's just like, okay, well, he has now killed somebody and he's never going to do that again. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that's one thing. So either, so that's one way to make Superman Superman. Yeah. The other is he finds a way, he finds a way to stop Zod without killing him. Yeah. Because one of the things about Superman is that, and if you want to bring Christ analogy into it, one of the things about Jesus is that like, no, 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 there's always a third option. Yeah. You know, mm. there, there's always, or I guess a second option in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will find it. Yeah. Where everybody else might be physically or philosophically limited, you know, Superman finds another way, yeah. a way mm-hmm. that is civil, um, a way that affirms life and affirms his commitment to life. Yeah. And so even though Zod is responsible for, for some horrible things, you know, um, having him caught and put back in the forbidden zone or whatever it is, that might not be the name of it. Um, Phantom zone, Phantom zone, have him put back there, you know, maybe that's the thing to do. And, and you could even have some people say, why on earth would you do this? This guy is clearly a war criminal and all this sort of thing. Right. And he could just say, I don't kill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, now Superman is taking a stand against public opinion. Yeah. Public opinion says, uh, this guy's horrible. Let's all kill him. And he's like, well, you can, if you want, I'm not going to. And as it happens, I'm the only one that can catch him. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, either way you see him, you need to see him become the Superman we know. And I just gave two options how to do that. And they didn't go with either one. They went with this other option that, that is just unsatisfying and it feels unearned. And it just, again, it's, it's, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And especially, again, like you said, I, I'm willing to take any Christ analogy with a grain of salt. Sure. 
you know, I mean, a lot of movies will just kind of throw in the occasional, you know, crucifixion pose or whatever it is. Right, right. Um, so I'm not saying it needs to like f- work completely, mm. but this one, it's so overt. It's mm. so, they bash you over the head with it so much that part of me is like, all right, if you are going to make this connection, right, then you need to have Superman find a way to choose life at all times yeah. or sacrifice himself. Right. He right. doesn't either. Exactly. And, so, and like, what's yeah. the point here? What are, you, what are you doing? You know, there's a, there's a, I'm sorry, uh, are, wh- where, where are we right now? Because I didn't want to transition. No, 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 we're fine. Were... We're fine. No, uh, this general talk of theme is exactly where we should be. Okay. So uh, there is, so you mentioned that when Clark is a kid uh, and he's up against the wall, he's kind of in a crucifixion pose. He's yeah. in another, he is in that pose uh, another time. Yeah. In the, in the film later on, uh, he's in, uh, Zod's ship and he busts out the, the, the side right. and he kind of right. floats backwards. And the way that he floats, his arms are extended, his legs are together. And it's a very, it's a Jesus Christ crucified uh, right. pose. Um, uh, he does nothing to earn that Mm-mm. at all. And I find myself comparing that to say Gandalf <laughs> in fellowship of the ring. As he has, as, as he falls into the pit with, uh, the Balrog, right. Um, right before Gandalf falls into blackness right before, I mean, it is one second. You'll notice that he has fallen. He's, he's in a situation where his feet are together. His arms are apart. It looks like Jesus, you know, it's, it's only for a moment, barely a moment. Yeah. But can you miss it? Yeah. But it's there and it's obvious. But what did Gandalf just do? Mm-hmm. And what is he in the process of doing? He's in the process of falling into hell, falling yeah. into, I mean, not, not a literal hell in this case, but close enough. Into shadow. Yeah. Into shadow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he has sacrificed himself so that everybody else can get away. And he, in the meantime, he is falling into shadow and then being reborn. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. everything there works. Yeah. Whereas when Superman... He he comes floating out of that ship and in a Jesus pose, and I guess he is about to go to Earth and make a difference. But his difference is not one of self sacrifice; it's one no. of constant violence. Mm-hmm. And one could make the argument that as he is fighting Zod, the man who killed his father and is killing any number of people that that he cares about, which is say just humans in general. Yeah. That for him to find a way to spare Zod's life in spite of what Zod has done and in spite of how Superman himself might want to feel, that is self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. That's choosing something bigger than what Superman himself wants. So he doesn't have to let himself die or anything like that. It's just giving up something, not merely finding another way, but giving up what he wants. Yeah. You know, um, there is no, I don't see any self-sacrifice. I see some from Pa Kent. And even that's mm. a dumb scene, but like, it really is. Um, I don't see any self-sacrifice from Superman and I'm not asking that super, I'm not saying Superman requires it, but Jesus Superman does. Yeah. And yeah. if this is going to have any impact at all, you need to do that somehow. Yes. Even if it's just not killing a guy that everyone would say deserves to die. Yeah. You know, because then you have Superman saying, you know, to, Cribble line from Unforgiven deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going mm-hmm. to do this. Right. You know? And so, yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, and and I think too the other thing that really bothers me about the connection with Christ, which which plays right into what you're saying, uh, in my mind is one of the one of the messages. I'm I'm reluctant to use the word message because I don't know that the film necessarily. I'll stop qualifying it. One of the things that I walked away with is I think a central conclusion that the film comes to is that sometimes you have to make moral compromises for the greater good, or you have to make moral compromises to stop evil. I feel like that film, I feel like man of steel makes that conclusion at several points. Sure. That sometimes you have to make moral compromises. Jor-El makes it to a degree. Mm -hmm. Zod makes it all the time. That's kind of the driving force for his character. Uh, And then Superman makes it at least, at least a few times. And I feel like when you take that and you so associate it with Christ, so now you're saying, okay, well, you know, maybe you have to make some degree, sometimes maybe you have to make some degree of, you know, lesser of two evils, moral ambiguity sort of area. Like you said, denying the third option, denying the possibility. I tried to resist uh, bringing this movie up because it's not the companion film, but uh, you think about uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. the, the, the unwinnable test. The yeah. Kobayashi Maru. I was thinking about that early on, like the other the the option no one thinks of. Yes, and and I love so many things about that movie, but one of the things I love is you know as you know spoilers for Star Trek Two everybody, but um, as Spock is laying in there dying, um, he tells Kirk, "I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. What do you think of my solution?" You know, and it's yeah. it's blatant. I'm offering up myself. That's my that's my win is yeah. you guys get to win and I'm offering up myself. And, you know, I, 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 I do, I, I, it, it escapes me in the immediate moment how to tangibly translate that into Man of Steel, but I know that with, with uh, any decent writer paid what I'm sure these guys were paid could sit there for a day and figure out that third option to keep him from snapping Zod's neck, yeah. to keep, to, to, to let him make another choice that is more profound that solidifies him more and then maybe again i haven't seen this movie i don't know when i will but then maybe you have a more substantive argument going into batman versus superman because from the trailers it seems like batman's main indictment of superman is all the destruction and and you know the the wanton reckless concern for human life but if he if all of that happened and then he still made a choice that we can get morally behind yeah then then maybe we've got a better argument you know um they're two completely different films but i look at you know batman versus superman versus what i've already seen from the trailer of captain america civil war mm-hmm. where you have an ideological difference yeah. between two people and both ideologies even from the trailer seem to have some substance to them they seem yeah. to have a point it's so it's so interesting because actually like in comment sections mm-hmm. people have said you know, it's called Captain America. It seems like you'll probably side with Captain America. In comment sections, there are people who say, like, I think I actually agree more with Stark. Yeah. That's brilliant. Exactly. That's exactly. great. And that's how you know you've landed on something that is substantive because yeah. people can walk away and you have, that is, two heroes, both with points of view that we could possibly get behind, butting heads because those two points of view can't can't exist simultaneously. And 
with with Man of Steel, and I know, you know, I don't want to divert us necessarily too much into talking about two films we haven't seen yet. But when I think about Man of Steel and what it sets us up for, when he when he makes that choice, I was also bothered. I was bothered by two. Uh, overt things with snapping Zod's neck other than the thematic things we've already mentioned. A, I didn't find it narratively believable because they've just been duking it out for a half hour and nobody even has a split lip. So I didn't necessarily think it was believable that he could have hurt Zod that bad. Yeah. You know, when when you've shown us nothing about their ability to hurt one another. Um, so that's A. But then also B, I didn't see any care on Superman's part for the other people. There's a moment in Superman 2 where Superman looks around at the at that version of Zod and his two cronies um, destroying the city. And Superman looks around and Superman sees all of the collateral damage and Christopher Reeve leaves, flies off. And it's, it's kind of an affecting moment because the people think he's abandoning them. No. They think, well, why are you leaving? You're running away. You're a coward. So he's he looks villainous in that moment yeah. to them, and he's making that choice of, I have to take the fight away from them, and I can't care whether they like me or believe in me or not because yeah. because I need to save their life. That's a morally upstanding choice. And there's so many things that Man of Steel could have done very simply How, to make a similar choice. Uh, I'm getting so angry right now. <laughs> How is it? Okay, look at what we're talking about here. We're talking about about Superman not caring how he is viewed because he's doing what's right for the larger population. That's not what happens right. in a movie that is about that that has tons of Christ analogy. Right. Right. How is it that in Man of Steel, which has overt Christ analogy, they don't come to that conclusion, but in The Dark Knight, uh, yeah, they mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah. How do I, you know, I did those things. I can be this, mm-hmm. you know, I need to be hunted. I need to be all of these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He takes, he takes, you know, in this case, Harvey Dent sins, but one could say the sins of Gotham, he takes them on himself right. so that he can give people so that people can have hope, not in him, but in something even larger, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, which is say in that case, once again, Harvey Dent, um, like how is it that, <laughs> the Batman who yes, doesn't kill, but is a much darker hero and more right. tragic and sometimes more, uh, more brutal. Yes. How yeah. can, how is it that that one isn't try, is not trying for Christ analogy, but actually does it, it pretty lands well. On it. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. this one is trying overtly and then completely whiffs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, What's the difference? Well, the difference is that one's a good movie and one is not. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know? And I think that's part of the, uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, if you're really nitpicking, there's a lot of things about Dark Knight that you might criticize from a script or narrative perspective. But I think there is a substantial power to the choice that they make at the end of Dark Knight for yeah. him to do that. And I think that's part of how it resonates so much. Yeah. Know, there's a lot of things that resonate very strongly about that, but that's a choice we can get behind. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, carry this and i think part of why it resonates is because that's the kind of hero that we want the kind of hero that we would like to be and the kind of hero that we want for ourselves is somebody not necessarily who's willing to be a villain but somebody who's willing to do the right thing even when nobody's watching even when nobody's going to praise them for it even when they're not going to gain anything you know monetarily or reputationally 
for making this choice, they're still going to do the right thing. They're still going to do what's good. Yeah. And uh, one thing, uh, we can still keep talking about Man of Steel, but I think that for what I wanted to say for it, that might be a good uh, transition into the companion film. Um, because the companion film that I wanted to, to talk about specifically for Man of Steel was uh, 1999's Brad Bird's The Iron Giant, mm-hmm. um, which is, it could be another Man of Steel because he's, you know, the Iron Giant. I'm going to stop with the puns. Got it. So, yeah, we're moving on. But, so the, uh, I love that movie. That's my fourth favorite movie of all time. Um, but when I look at that film, it's also dealing with the same kinds of things that Man of Steel is. If you haven't seen that film, if you didn't watch it growing up as a kid, um, it's a beautiful film, and I think anybody should see it. Um, I only saw it for the first time semi-recently, like in the last oh, really? uh, last three or four years. Did you like it? I liked it quite a bit. Yes, uh, I think it's I I think it's a just a wonderful. I think it's a wonderful movie all around. I think the script is strong, the voice acting is strong, the animation is lovely, and the the characters feel real. Like yeah. they they don't feel like you're watching moving drawings and. And, um, I think that, um, you know, it's playing with identity because many times in that film and that's, that's what, okay, let me make the statement. So many times in that film, it's comparing what the iron giant was specifically created to be and what he is becoming or what he really is. And it does so in lots of accidental revelations. You don't immediately know that he is designed to be a weapon. You don't actually find it out until about halfway through the movie. And it happens accidentally because Hogarth points a toy gun at him. And that's when he, his defense systems come on and it's like, Oh wait, there's, that's what this character is. And, and it's a, it's a powerful revelation that, wow, he's designed to be a weapon and that he could really do some damage and be destructive. Um, and it's playing with this idea of, of, are you what you were made to be or are you what you choose to be? It also plays into the idea of trust because in the iron giant, uh, the character of, uh, Kent Mansley from the government immediately doesn't trust him. I have a quote here that is, a, it's a pretty comical line. Uh, do you want to read any of these quotes? Do you want to read the Kent Mansley quote? Sure. Let me see here. Okay. Kent Mansley. Is this one, right? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the middle the one, one. Yeah. You think this metal man is fun? Uh, you think this metal man is fun, but who built it? The Russians, the Chinese, Martians, the Canadians? I don't care. All I know is we didn't build it, and that's reason enough to assume the worst and blow it to kingdom come. We're going to destroy it before it destroys us. And that's the mentality. Yeah. That, that's the idea of, of trust. We can't trust this, which is something, again, that Man of Steel claims to mm-hmm. be dealing with. But here it is inherent in the narrative, like, we can't trust this. We don't, we don't know who made it. And then... It's more powerful to me in the Iron Giant when he makes that case when we still think Iron Giant is a cuddly hunk of steel. Yeah. It's later that we find out, oh, crap, this is a weapon and this weapon could go off the rails. So then it does kind of a similar thing to what Man of Steel uh, is again trying to do and substantiate the opposing the opposing philosophy. I don't know why I'm stumbling over my words. It substantiates the opposing philosophy where it's like, wait, Ken Mansley might have a point yeah. because this is a weapon. And, you know, yes, it is gentle with Hogarth. It's sentient. So it's actually trying to understand who it is and what it's all about. Um, it's making these choices. But Kent Mansley, at the end of the day, 
has a point because yeah. this is a weapon and it could do a lot of damage. Iron Giant always reminded me of Hellboy. Uh-huh. Um, in that, like, this is a demon who's, who's right. meant to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's one of the early ups, earliest episodes of more than one lesson is this idea mm-hmm. of, you know, at one point Hellboy is going towards the end of the film and he's going into his natural demonic state and he's about to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and then this guy says, remember who you are. Mm. And it's just like, well, who he is, is a demon. It's like, <laughs> no. That's what he started as. Right. That's right. not who he is. Exactly. You know, he's choosing to be this other thing, you know? Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's this line here about, uh, about, you know, a gun, about the Iron Giant being a gun. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I do like the idea of just, uh, of summing up, not merely a weapon, but just a gun, literally just a tool meant to shoot and that's it. Like, yeah. no mm-hmm. mind of its own. And, uh, it's, it really, uh, simplifies things a lot. Yeah. And, you know, he, and, and Hogarth, the little boy says to him, he says, you know, you are who you choose to be. Mm-hmm. So you choose. And, and there's, that's actually a moment that I'd really like to, to kind of end the episode with. Um, so we'll talk about that in, in, in a little bit here, but he, you know, Hogarth says to him, you are who you choose to be. That's at the end of the day, that's what it all comes down to. You make the choice. And I feel like, you know, uh, Iron Giant does so well play with this idea of are we a product of, you know, uh, if, if you believe in God, then, you know, we are, we are created uh, in his image, but we have a sinful nature. Yeah. We, have, we have a nature that is contrary to what we would like and to what um, God wants from us. And that can be sometimes very crippling. It can be sometimes very uh, pervasively discouraging. You know, when we stumble, when we make mistakes, when we're not what we would like to be, that uh, and and we inevitably will not live up to what we'd really like to be. Um, and that can be very devastating for us. It can be uh, very hurtful. And I think that when you know when the Iron Giant dives into that subject, it dives into. Uh, you know, with the character, there's a scene where the character thinks Hogarth is hurt mm. and he thinks it's his fault and the regret and the shame that floods that character when he realizes like, oh no, like I might've, I might've hurt, you know, my best friend yeah. here. You know, it's a, it, 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 it is this idea of, you know, my nature has kicked in. I, I can't help but be bad. I can't help but be this weapon, you know, like this is, this is my structure. And I feel like a lot of times that may be to a larger degree, the whole nature of, of shame is that, uh, is that we're not just, we're not just fighting against what we'd like to be. We're fighting against every disappointment that anybody ever has in anybody else. Yeah. You know, like, like it's almost as if not only, uh, are we disappointed in the fact that we couldn't be our better selves, but, you hear a conversation about like, oh, people who do this are are terrible, are yeah. despicable human beings. And so then in your head, you're like, well, I've done that. Yeah. They don't know it, thank goodness, but I've done that. Well, then that then that is shame and that that is making a reflection on who you are as a person. I heard somebody make that distinction. Uh, it might have even been my therapist to say that, you know, guilt is about what you've done. Shame is about who you are. Yep. 
and that if we reach that point to where we truly feel ashamed because our nature has betrayed us, that's a fair. That's a terribly crippling thought, and it's something that is. Um, we can take a certain degree of encouragement in the idea that you can choose better. You can choose something different than what you were built for, than what you were made for. You can, you can make the choice. You've been given the choice, and uh, there's a tremendous hope in that. There's a, you know, one of my favorite. I didn't. I don't think I wrote it down, but one of my favorite uh, scripture verses is the one where it says, and I think I may have even mentioned something like this on the show before, where it says, "His His mercies are new every morning." Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, that translated one time as. You know, that means that if his mercies are brand new every morning, then they're not used up from the mistakes that I did yesterday. Yeah. I didn't wake up to soiled mercy. I didn't wake up to um, to stain. You know, yeah. I, I, I woke up to a fresh start. Yeah, uh, yes, I still have to live with the consequences. And if I've done something really bad, I have to live with really bad consequences. But in a larger perspective, I can start tomorrow making a better choice. And I yeah. can start tomorrow doing something uh, the right way, which is completely different from the conclusion that I think Man of Steel gets to, which is, yes, yeah, sometimes you've just got to compromise and and make moral and ethical compromises yeah. to get where you want to go. Whereas I feel like the Iron Giant um, and the Bible yeah. <laughs> tend to lean more in the other direction. It's so funny. There's a, one of my favorite uh, uh, Tim Keller sermons. Mm. I believe he's talking about hell and he's talking about like the eternal nature of, of the soul. Uh, he quotes Kierkegaard as he is wont to do. Yeah. And then he talks about the iron giant and talking about oh, the really? idea of, of like, you know, souls, uh, like souls can't die, mm. uh, being a, a quote from the iron giant. And at one point he goes, he's like, so he's like, if Kierkegaard is right, and the Iron Giant is right, and people like in the, in the audience like laugh because <laughs> right. you're connecting this this by all appearances kids cartoon right, with Soren right, Kierkegaard, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that is the Iron Giant does operate at that level. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, it invites it. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's you know the, when you look at something like the iron giant which admittedly is is not it's it's an original story mm-hmm. i mean it borrows quite a bit from frankenstein and yeah. and other yeah. such things uh, short circuit probably not but um, <laughs> but you know it, it's it it owes a lot to mm-hmm. to older films um, uh, i see a little bit of uh, gort in oh, there oh, from yeah. uh, uh-huh. day the earth sits still so it's not it's not based on anything specifically. So it has the freedom to be whatever it is they want it to be. Whereas man of steel is based on a well, an established and well-known property. Right. Um, so maybe they felt a little bit hemmed in or maybe they thought like, okay, well we, we don't want to be hemmed in by this property. So we're going to do our own thing with it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fine. But when you look at these two films and I mean the, you know, the characters in the Iron Giant make the association with Superman. Yeah, they do. You know, Hogarth says of the Iron Giant, uh, you know, this is Superman. He's a lot like you. Right. You right. know, and, and so we see what the Iron Giant is capable of. And admittedly, he's not, you know, he's not uh, very verbose or anything <laughs> like that. Although but, voiced by Ben Diesel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like but so it's funny. a but really well, you know. Great vocal performance. Um but yeah, in it we see 
actual Christ analogy. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing that Josh and I have talked about. Uh, we talked about it on the mini sode for Braveheart is that, mm. um, is that a lot of Christians, often guys in like the, the, the Christian men's movements, you know, mm. they will invoke like warriors. And I understand why, yeah. because it's, you know, you, you kind of want to be bold in that regard. Um, but they will talk about Braveheart and yeah. that William Wallace as depicted in Braveheart, like that's what we need to be and all that sort of mm. thing. And again, I get it boldness. Um, but in the end, and, and yes, William Wallace does die at the end and he, he refuses to give up and all that, but, in, but he, he simply got caught yeah, yeah. That was not his choice. That is not his preference. Um, he got caught. He would, if anything, he would like to be released so he can go and kill more Englishmen. <laughs> um, right. and, and that's the thing is, is, and that is why man of steel also does not work there. Jesus runs counter to what we want what yeah. we naturally want. We want justice. We want revenge. Mm-hmm. We want men of action. Right. Right. Um, we want somebody who's like, yeah, we don't want somebody who will kill freely, but we want somebody who will do what is necessary when the chips are down. Yeah. And that is not Jesus, or at least not, you know, not the way we come to define all of those things. Right. Yeah. You know, um, when it comes right down to it, the thing that we said is that Jesus died to stop injustice, to stop, you know, to redeem people. Whereas William Wallace killed for it. And it's, I'm not saying that I'm not condemning that or anything like that. You know, it's a war situation. It's a revolutionary situation. I get it. Um, But, you know, why are we looking at at characters like that um, as what our example should be? You know, whereas something like the Iron Giant, it's it's all self-sacrifice. Oh, yeah. You know, and appropriately, it doesn't end with the sacrifice. It ends with the resurrection. Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. Whereas with, whereas with Man of Steel, it's just, it's all action. It's, Mm. it's for, for all their talk about Superman being like Jesus He's nothing like Jesus. In no, no, doesn't even doesn't even come close. He, yeah. and and fundamentally, he is uh, he represents the worst idea about about Jesus, yeah. and that's that. You know what? Uh, at the end of the day, he won't really work for you. He won't really do anything for you. Um, he will just you know sort of do what the big important things that need to get done. But, but you as an individual, you don't matter terribly much. And when, when we look at the idea that we're um, merely products of our, we're merely products of our nature or even worse than that, that our ultimate nature is going to define the choices that we make uh, in that situation he he had no other he he saw no other recourse but to i'm just going to i'm just going to kill him yeah. that's the only thing I, and and you know i keep dismissing this but somebody would immediately say well he's clearly tortured after he well, for 30 seconds of film yeah for about 30 seconds but then but then he doesn't do anything which is why they needed to lay if they're going to do that you got to lay the groundwork so that for the 30 seconds that we see him tortured, we are thinking of the earlier scene. So at least now we're getting more screen time of torture. Yeah. You know, 
again, just that's not even stuff about Superman. That's not stuff about Jesus. That's just basic character stuff. Like yeah. if you're going to have this, this beat, you need to earn it. Yeah. And they don't. And but. I feel Yeah. And I feel like the, uh, you know, the, the, the script is, is terribly weak for man of steel, you know, like it's constantly undermining itself. There's, there's one moment I laughed about when, uh, you know, at the end after Zod's been destroyed and, and everything seems like it's back to normal, you know, Superman stops the, the other general on the way and says, you know, I know you want to see where I hang my Cape, you know, it's not going to happen. And then the general's like, well, how do we know we can trust you? To which Superman responds, I grew up in Kansas. And I remember thinking in the movie, like, well, you just narrowed it down. If I'm trying to find out where you hang your cape, I know I only have to look in Kansas now, you know, like, and so I feel like that's just an example of how I feel like the script is constantly undermining itself, um, thematically, practically, narratively. Like, I feel like it's constantly at odds with itself. It's just continuing to try to, to do this other thing. And when it comes to the statement that it's making about saviors, the statement that it's making about saviors. And, uh, this, this might be a point where, uh, you know, where I could introduce sort of a sort of my, my final thought on the connection to the two films. So before I go into that, did you have any, anything else you wanted to say about that? I wanted to, I wanted to share a couple of scriptures and then make one conclusion and then we can kind of wrap up. But, um, you know, if, uh, I have a few verses here. Um, if you don't mind, I'll read the first Samuel one, uh, first Samuel sixteen seven. it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we could take that to as a negative. We could take that, especially because he says, for I have rejected him. We could take that and we could say, like, see, it doesn't matter how good I try to be. The Lord sees how, how rotten I am. But then right in, right in almost like a call and response to that, we have Ephesians 4, And uh, verse 22, do you want to read that section? Sure, why not? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through uh, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. So there's this contrast between we were this thing, but now we can be in Christ and through Christ this other thing. Yeah. And that that way has been kind of paved for us, literally bought for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when I think about it, it's a, it's a terribly comforting thought to me. And I know a lot of people who are, who are not Christians and who are vehemently opposed to Christian ideology will tell me they might say that this is a crutch or they might say that this is, you know, uh, as the philosopher said, the opiate for the masses, you know, whatever it is. But I find it tremendously comforting that there is another way available to me. That even though I am prone to these inclinations, that that is not the final verdict on my life. And it doesn't have to be. That that doesn't have to be what ultimately defines me. That I can make a better choice and that I'm not doomed or destined to continue to make those those poor or those negative choices, um, and then you know it's one of my one of my favorite verses is First John two one through two. It says, "My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I find that verse immensely comforting mm-hmm. that, you know, it's like, we're going to try to do better. But when we don't, there is an advocate for us. There is somebody who who stands and 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 can make a better choice for us. And the note that I kind of wanted to, that I, that I thought about ending on is from the Iron Giant. So you have the, uh, you have, Z- you have the moment where Superman makes his choice and he snaps Zod's neck in the Iron Giant. The conclusion of that film, uh, it's not the final moment. It's not mm-hmm. even the final beat, but the, the resolution of, of the tension is that Kent Mansley has rashly launched a nuclear weapon <laughs> as opposed to very calmly and uh, um, yeah. discernedly launching a nuclear weapon. But uh, he's launched a nuclear weapon and they're all going to die. And Iron Giant looks around, sees all of the people, and he sees the damage that's about to happen. And in a, in a really touching and, and heartbreaking little scene, he says goodbye to Hogarth and he flies up to collide with this nuclear weapon in midair so that it will not hurt the people on the ground. Yeah. So he's making the decision. I'm going to, he's making that, that Spock choice. He's making that Christ choice. I am going to offer up myself as the solution to this problem. Uh, and so he flies up and it, it hit me so hard for this conversation that as he's flying up, Hogarth's earlier words come back to him where he says, you are who you choose to be. And the Iron Giant, before sacrificing his life, we know that he will come back, but we don't know it at the moment. Before sacrificing his life, he hears Hogarth say, you are who you choose to be. He smiles, closes his eyes, and says to himself, Superman. And that's how, that's that's that symbol. That's that idea that we, we can make a better choice to be who who we know we could be and who we know we should be. And as he is literally laying down his existence, I'm Superman. And it's, it, 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 it brings, it makes me emotional (laughs) to, to think about that. That's the kind of choice that, um, that is available to us that has been as a Christian, I believe it has been done for us. And I believe it could be embodied in a character like Superman. And I believe that man of steel could have broached into something of that nature, maybe even with more, even more depth. Yeah. As of right now, not to end on a joke. um, The Superman and man of steel, if the iron giant wanted to emulate him, (laughs) then he seeks out Clint man, uh, sorry, Kent Mansley. And as Mansley (laughs) is about to push the button, the Iron Giant says, Superman, and crushes him. <laughs> and crushes him. You know what I mean? Exactly. Still saving people, Yeah, but that is not Superman. Yeah. Exactly. You exactly. Know? That's not who we've come to know that character to be. And let me suggest this. Think of, we happen to be in Easter week. Oh, yes. You yeah. know? Yeah. Think of what people at the time, what people thought Jesus was coming to do. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. coming to snap Zod's neck. He was coming to squish Kent Mansley. Yeah. 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 And the fact that he chose not to do that mm-hmm. bothered people. 
It went against yeah. what they thought justice was. It, it went against what they thought freedom was. Mm-hmm. Instead, rather than, you know, taking out this one person and, and taking care of the, the uh, initial threat. Right. Instead, it's a much larger thing. Mm-hmm. And I instead will, the only person, the only person that, that is dying today is me. Yeah. And, and in doing so, is thinking, well, let's go ahead and say in the long term. Um, yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, and that's, that is why someday I think somebody is going to make a Superman movie mm-hmm. with all its Christ analogy and do it right. Yeah. It's you definitely know? possible. And that's the, you know, to draw, to draw perhaps, you know, one final comparison between Superman and Christ. Like I've, I think I even included, it was a thought that I had when I was first thinking about Man of Steel. And I think I even included it in the, in the review that I, or the article, it wasn't really a review. It was more a reflective article Mm -hmm. that I wrote for the website about Man of Steel shortly after I saw it. And I think I said this, um, in that moment, because I remember this was when I first thought of it, that the distinctions there, you know, Superman is more the hero that I want, but Christ came because he had a, he had a bigger uh, yeah. fish to fry, you know, for lack of a better way of a better phrase at my disposal, he had something more important to do a greater work and bullets bounce off of Superman. Whereas my savior has nail scars in his hands yeah. and uh, my savior carries my wounds. You know, he yeah. was, he was wounded for what I'd done wrong and he, he suffered for, you know, he carried that, that cost. I love the Isaiah passage that says, you know, the, the chastisement of our peace was, put on him. You know, he paid the cost for our peace. And I think that's, that's what we really need in a hero. And you know, this, this might be a little bit too clever, but I did just think of it. So, uh, sorry, everybody. (laughs) But when you even think about the title, I remember to go back to another Tim Keller sermon, he was talking about the idea of like, what did it cost God to love you? Mm. And there are people, and, and he was asking this of people that do not believe in Jesus. And they're like, well, I don't know if it cost him anything. It just, he mm. just loves us. And it's like, okay, well, the nature of love is that it does cost something. Yeah. And I find, and you mentioned the idea of like bullets bouncing off and stuff like that. When it comes right down to it, again, I apologize, everybody. This is way too cheesy. Superman is a man of steel. Mm-hmm. You can't kill him. You can't stop him. Yeah. Right. Jesus was literally a man of flesh. Mm-hmm. So precisely so that he could be killed. Yeah. Yeah. He actually gave up the steel. He gave mm-hmm. up the, the angels he could have called down. Right. He right. let this happen. He mm-hmm. let himself be killed. Yeah. You know, at no point, like the, the stakes of man of steel is that the world could be destroyed, which mm-hmm. admittedly is big, yeah. but Superman himself is, I'm not worried about him. No. He's the one person's going to make it out. He'll be fine. Yeah. You know? And if anything like it, that, that's, and he finds a way so that ever so that all so he the world and he make it out as opposed and it's just like well d- but that's not costing you anything yes yeah. you're doing this thing to Zod that you'd rather not do but it's not costing but you're still going to be around and you'll yeah. get over it and in yeah. the end you know that you did the right thing yeah he gets over it rather quickly Elma. rather quickly <laughs> yeah. yet. um and so it's just like it, it doesn't yeah. cost him anything whereas in the Iron Giant it costs him everything and then in the case of Jesus, it cost him everything. Yeah. And that was the idea. That was always the idea. Yeah. You know, so something to keep in mind for Easter. (sighs) Exactly. Happy Easter, everybody. Absolutely. Um, Well, uh, I I don't feel confident to close us out, but, uh, but I think, uh, I think we can probably 
end it there. So, All right. Very exciting. Good job, Reed. Well, thank you. Absolutely. If something ever happens to me, you're, you're going to fill in. <laughs> no. um, oh, we'll have David show you how to use the equipment. And, you know, then <laughs> you'll have to corral Robert and Josh. Sorry about that. But uh, anyway, yeah, this was a great deal of fun. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, feel free to comment and, and, and chime in with whatever you like uh, at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at morelessons. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. At Reed Lackey. And then you can also like us on Facebook. And I will also say, um, if you've got the time, feel free to head on over to iTunes and uh, not merely rate us positively, but also uh, leave a positive review. We haven't gotten one in a while, and it's always nice to get them just because it helps it helps our visibility and helps us get more listeners. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Reed, thank you so much for leading. No problem. Thank and you. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.